Anna and Simeon. So part of God's story is about Anna and Simeon. And it goes like this. For hundreds and hundreds of years, God had been promising his family, the Israelites, a rescuer and king. He told them that this rescuer would come as a baby and would be his very own son. People waited a long, long, long time for the Savior to come. Lots waited their whole lives. Well, when Jesus was finally born, there was a man living in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was especially excited for God's promised king because he loved God and followed him with his whole heart. He even got to talk to God through the Holy Spirit. Nowadays, anybody who follows Jesus gets to talk to the Holy Spirit anytime. But before Jesus was born, the Holy Spirit only talked to some people, and Simeon was one of them. Anyway, one of the things the Holy Spirit told Simeon was that the baby king would be born while Simeon was still alive. Since God had been promising the rescuer for hundreds of years, this was a big deal. Simeon would actually get to meet God's rescuer. He just didn't know when. On the night of Jesus' birth, angels appeared to shepherds and announced Jesus' arrival. They excitedly ran out, telling everyone they knew. But remember, there weren't phones or internet back then, so not everyone knew that Jesus had been born, including Simeon. A little while after Jesus' birth, the Holy Spirit told Simeon to go to the temple. He may not have known why, but he obeyed anyway. Good thing he did, because while Simeon was at the temple, Mary and Joseph brought their new baby Jesus to the temple too, to dedicate him to God. As soon as Simeon saw Mary and Joseph with Jesus, he knew who Jesus was. We don't know exactly how he knew, but he did. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and said, Lord, you are the king over all. Now let me, your servant, go in peace. That is what you promised. With my own eyes, I have seen what you have done to save your people. See, Simeon was getting pretty old. And meeting Jesus was the one thing he wanted in his life. Now that the rescuer was here, he was ready to die in peace. There was someone else in the temple that day, a woman named Anna. For many years, she had stayed at the temple day and night, worshiping God through fasting and prayer and talking to God through the Holy Spirit, like Simeon. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long she'd been there, but by this time, she was 84 years old. She knew God well, and, like Simeon, she had been waiting for the king God had promised. Sure enough, Anna came by just as Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph. Immediately, she praised God. The king was finally here, just as God promised. When Simeon and Anna met Jesus, they were overcome with joy. The Bible tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is being sure of what we do not see. Simeon and Anna were sure that God had promised to send a rescuer. They were sure he was coming. And when they saw Jesus, they were sure the rescuer had arrived. All because they had faith that God keeps his promises. And that's the story of Anna and Simeon. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God promised a rescuer. People waited. Simeon waited a long time. He loved God. God said he'd meet Jesus. Simeon met Jesus. Meeting Jesus was all he had wanted. Anna loved God too. She was waiting for a rescuer. She met Jesus. Simeon and Anna had faith. God kept his promise. And that's a part of God's story. This past Friday, Felicia and I, my wife and Felicia, 
uh, and I, we went to her Friday doctor appointment, and um, we went downtown to the hospital, and we arrived there a few minutes earlier, and as we were uh, waiting in uh, line to register, they told us that it's going to be longer line because it's the beginning of the year, and they want to take everybody's uh, information from um, the health insurance, and then... It was a longer line there. Then we went, and she had blood drawn. And um, then we had to wait for the results, and we were supposed to see her doctor, oncologist. And we waited in the lobby for about 5, 10 minutes, and then it was 15, and then 20. And uh, when it was about half an hour, Felicia said, Are you sure we are in the right place for, for the doctor appointment? And I said, I will go and check. So at... 40 minutes or 45, I went back to the register, and I said, is it uh, here where we uh, wait for the doctor appointment? And they said, yeah, the doctor is running late. You need another 45 minutes to wait. And uh, we did that, and um, we finally uh, got to see the doctor, and everything sound, uh, you know, sounded good, and positive answers and stuff like that, and she is doing better, and her leg is better. And we give thanks to God that uh, the answer was she can put more weight on her leg and the, the, the drug is working as it is supposed to be. And although those things are nice, waiting for everybody is not, is not good. Because when you wait, even when you were waiting for the doctor, we were thinking, what if the blood results are bad? Then if they are bad, then you don't get the treatment. And so all the time when you wait means that you don't know what's coming. And your anxiety grows. And as we were waiting, even earlier in this journey, we waited for the MRI and then for the biopsy, somebody in the church gave us this book. It's called Wait. And it's a very easy book, just uh, maybe about, I don't know, four or five hundred words in the entire book. But it's a good book because it's a prayer of someone who is desperate to see God answer prayers. And often we come to God and we say, God, now I prayed, please answer. And by the time we say amen, we want him to have the answer ready. But it doesn't happen all the time like that. And waiting often requires worship. You see, many of us here, we are here in worship, but we are still waiting. Some of you even this morning have told me, you know, my spouse is going to watch the service online. And maybe you are watching online because you cannot be here, and yet you still want to worship. You don't sit idle. You want to participate. While you are waiting, you want to participate in worship. And sometimes we can say that all of us have times when we wait for God to come and bring a solution to our problems. We wait for Him to bring reconciliation, to bring peace, to bring harmony, to help us survive this other trial, to help us go to this storm it can be a business that is going down or a job that looks like is going to be lost or maybe a health-wise a challenge that, that we, we, we want him to come and help us. And discipleship one-on-one, I think, requires us to learn how to wait on God. And there's nothing we can do better than disciples. The psalm says, those who wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It doesn't mean that you will always be victorious, but you will have the strength of the Lord 
to go to, go to things. And waiting on God means not trying to find a solution outside of Him. Every time in the Bible, people received the promise, and they could not wait for the fulfillment. So they tried to fix it. And waiting on God means that you have trust and full faith in Him that He is going to fulfill what He promised. Abraham was promised something, and it came too late. And then he tried to fix it, and it took him longer then. Every time when we fix, when we go to somebody else besides God, we are going to complicate things. And James, James has that a complaining spirit is sometimes the reason for God's delaying. A complaining spirit. God always wants us, even when we wait, to have a worshiping attitude, to have a worshiping feeling. But it is difficult to wait. And why is it so difficult? Well, if you think about how our culture sees waiting, is we think this. We think time is money, so therefore, we just lost like 10 seconds, right? You say, oh, what is it? He lost it. No, therefore, waiting for us means that we're wasting money. If you wait, in some place, you feel, oh, I'm wasting time, therefore I'm wasting money. So technology is not helping, but technology makes everything faster. Every time there is an upgrade on your phone or on your computer, it says, oh, this upgrade is going to be ten, two times faster, ten times faster. You know? It's going to be 2.0, 5.0. It's going to be better. You don't need to wait that much to upload or download or do these things. And we definitely hate to be in line. We hate even to wait for the red light, right? It seems like sometimes it goes forever. We say, hey, come on, what is it going on? Why is it still red? And we are impatient. We want everything done fast, quick. That's why we have all of these technologies to help us like fast, fast food, microwaves. We don't even use dial-up right now, internet. I remember one thing that is better in my country is the internet speed. It's like I don't know, a thousand megabytes per second. It's, it's an amazing speed. It may be the fastest in Europe, but there are other things that are way slower than in many other places. But waiting is not something that we like. And the Bible is very realistic, and it says there is a season for everything. If you plant a seed, you will have to wait from pl- between planting and harvesting, between sowing and reaping. There is a time. And the Bible says, even in nature, that God has placed a time. When you see that little acorn dropping in the ground, and to see a big oak that can withstand storms, it's a long time for the oak to grow. You want a child to be a mature adult, functioning, growing in God's kingdom, It takes a long time to nurture that child. And it takes time. And waiting often implies that the the dreams, the desires that we have, they are not fulfilled. God is the ultimate dream fulfiller. But as we are waiting, it means that He has not done it yet. And why why is it hard to wait on God? And often the Bible explains to us that there is not only us and what we see, but then there is something else. There's a spiritual battle that creates a waiting time between your prayers and God answers. There was one king in the Bible who was told, just 
settle your affairs because you're going to die. This illness will take you to death. And he is praying right after the prophet gives him this message. As the prophet leaves his palace, he turns his head. He was in his deathbed towards the wall and prays. And what is God doing? He is answering immediately and sends the prophet back. Says, go back to the king because look at his heart. He is praying. He is humbling himself. And I'm going to give him 15 extra years of life. And it's a, a quick answer. And he gets 15 more years. But that doesn't happen all the time. That is one example that God can do it. But most of the time, like in Daniel's time, if you remember, he is praying to God in Babylon and God sends an angel immediately, but it takes the angel 21 days to come with the answer. Because he said there is a spiritual battle in the heavenly places. He says between my soldiers, my armies, and the enemy's armies. Between the angels, they are dark angels and light or angels of light and angels of, of darkness fighting for what we are praying for. But all the time when we wait for, even for Daniel, even for you and for me, when we wait, God is doing something in us. And He is building us. He is growing us. He is nurturing us. He is building your character. If you remember your child or toddler say, Hey, Daddy or Mom, I want that. Give me that. And we say, No, no, no. It's not your time. Wait. What are we doing? We are growing them. We are building them. We are making them stronger. And we help them to know that there is one day when they will be able to have those things. But it's not healthy for them to have everything when they want it. And also remember that when God says no for a time, it doesn't mean that it's no for all the time. Usually, a delayed answer is not necessarily a negative answer. It means not now. And then you may come later and say, God, is it the time now? And he might say, yes, now is the time. He is always on time. He is not in a hurry, and He is always on time. His promises will come to fulfillment. But make sure that as you feel that you are in the waiting room, there is a good company to be in. You see, God's waiting room is full with the saints. When Noah built an ark, from the moment God told him to build an ark to the moment the flood came, it was 120 years Imagine his sons and his daughters and his neighbors looking at him. What are you doing? For 120 years he was faithful until God fulfilled his promise. God called Moses and it took him 40 years to see the fulfillment. God called and used the people of Israel and Moses to get them out of Egypt. And it took them 40 years to go to the promised land. They went through the wilderness a long, long time. The God's waiting room is full of saints. And you are in good company when you are waiting for God to answer. Some of you said the other day, and Pastor Ron mentioned, you said, you know, when is the next international day? It's international night. These are nights when we look at different culture. And uh, this, this time we are going to look at the African-American culture. So if you ask, it's coming this Tuesday. 6.15, <clears throat> we are going to have soul food and African-American music, and we are going to have a celebration and a lot of uh, leaders from the African-American community. So make sure you sign up. There's a way to RSVP, but if you don't, I will say don't stay home. We would like you to sign up, but if that's the only reason you will not come, I want to, to be here even if you haven't signed up. So make sure that you know 
that God is with you in the waiting time. This story that we are looking today is in, in, in the second chapter of Luke. And it is a story about somebody who has a wish before dying and he is waiting for that wish to come to fulfillment. And this is the story. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And what was he doing? He was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. What a powerful promise. So who is this Simeon who receives this personal revelation from the Holy Spirit? As you can see, he is part of that temple worshiping community and he is part of a faithful Jewish remnant These are Jewish people who, although a lot of the Jews are not faithful, he is part of the faithful ones that wait for the coming of the Messiah, just like Zacharias and Elizabeth, who are the parents of John the Baptist. He is part of a group that worships God, even when God seems to wait a long time to fulfill his promise. And he is still faithful, he still worships. And of course, we assume that he was old because... He was ready to die, and we don't know how old he was. The the, the text doesn't tell us. Tradition, not the Bible, tradition says that he maybe was 113 years old. We don't know how old he was. But what I can tell you for sure is that when we celebrate Christmas, definitely Simeon is not a character in one of our Christmas plays and and Christmas carols. We don't have a carol. We have a carol about the shepherds. We have a carol about the magi, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and the angels. But we don't put Simeon there or Anna. These are not important for us. They are more like in a movie it will be extras, you know. And yet they come at the end of the Christmas story. And there are several things that the Bible tells us about this guy. And one special thing is, one special thing, I think, both between, I mean, between the the other ones is that he receives the Holy Spirit in a way that nobody else did. Only after the coming of the Spirit, people will be filled with the Spirit like Simeon. But let's look at maybe like his resume. If you were to say, what is his resume? First of all, the Bible says he was righteous, which means he loved people. He was a person that loved his neighbors. Second, he says, he was devout, which means he was a person that loved God. Love people, love God. The two major requirements, and he fulfilled them. He was a guy who loved others, and he loved his God. And on top of that, he says, the Holy Spirit was on him. That is something that not many people have been privileged. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit will come upon the people, give them powers, give them skills, and then come back again later on. But it was on, on Simeon was all the time. And the Holy Spirit not only was upon him and filled him, but it revealed something special to him. Without having a star, without having angels. You see, when Elizabeth and Zacharias received the news about the birth of John the Baptist, an angel had to come in the temple to Zachariah and tell him. When Mary was told that she is going to be pregnant with a child, an angel came to her. Also, Joseph, when he was thinking to leave her 
behind and to kind of leave her because she was just her fiancé. The angel came and said, no, Joseph, what's happening here is from God. When shepherds heard about Jesus, an angel came and told them. And when the wise men, the magi, heard about Jesus and started to follow, it was a star that came. Major things, angels, stars. And yet, for Simeon, there's nothing so radical. It's something internally. We don't know how, but somehow God communicated to him and made a promise to his heart. And he says, Simeon, you don't need an angel. You don't need a star. But I'm going to tell you, you will not die before you will see the Messiah. And if you want a resume for yourself, just take that resume. Righteous, devout, loving people, loving God. And being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't want anything else. But just these things to be in your resume. And not only the Spirit was on him. But he was moved on a daily basis. This is what the Bible says. Moved by the Spirit. At that moment he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus. To do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. He worshipped like we did this morning. He took the child and praised God. And he was saying, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord. Just wait until the slide catches up. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. A salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And the gospel and the glory of your people Israel. This is a powerful song. A powerful worship song that he just makes it up as he sees. The Holy Spirit takes him to see Jesus. Nobody else has this privilege. He is the one that has that inner I would say guidance, inner presence of the Holy Spirit. And says, when he sees this child, and the parent says, this is the Messiah. And he goes and picks him up. And what is he doing? He is praising God. And in his song, he brings glory to God. In fact, if you look at his song, it's not a, 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 the, the only song. In the story of, of Christmas, there are five songs. And his is the last one. It's the last of the fifth and the last and the fifth Christmas song in Luke, chapter 1 and 2. It starts, if you want, with Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, Zacharias in the temple. The angels, they are singing hymns and songs. And then the final one is Simeon. And what is Simeon singing? What is his song about? It's a worship song. He kept his promise. He says, Lord, sovereign Lord, as you have promised things are happening it is everything at your command lord i don't need to worry about now because as you promised you now may dismiss so basically says your you deserve your worship because your word is true your promises are true i worship you lord and look at this child he is what i was expecting to see is a song of worship. Second is a song of salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation, the Messiah. In that child, he realizes this is the one that was promised. This is the, the Messiah that comes. And that's what we need to recognize in the baby Jesus. We can come to church for Christmas or for the Advent and even after Christmas on a second Sunday 
of the year like this Sunday. But we don't want to miss the fact that Jesus is still the Messiah. That's why we come here, to worship our Lord and to acknowledge that He gives you and me salvation in this baby Jesus, in this Christ that was born on Christmas. It's also a missionary song. It's not only for me and for you, the salvation. It's for everybody. And maybe the first time it says here in a song like that, he acknowledges, he says, the salvation that will be a sight of all nations, to all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, people in all countries that are not Jews, are going to be saved by this child. And that's a powerful testimony. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's a missionary song. And finally, if you want, it's a final song because he says, you know what? Because you gave me this child, because your promises are true, you can now dismiss your servant. Dismiss your servant in peace. Now he can go peacefully. Maybe he was anxious before because he was still waiting, not sure how things are going to do and to happen, how God is going to do this thing. But now he sees the child. And I hope that you and me, once we see Jesus, who he is, whether we are five years old or 95 years old or 105, we are going to be like Simeon and say, now you can dismiss us. Because we have seen the salvation. Dismiss us in peace. So it's not only a song of worship to God. But then Simeon says, now I'm going to talk to your parents. And he looks at Mary and Joseph. And they are there. The child's father and mother marvel at what was said about him. Nobody else talked about him like that. And then Simeon blessed them. And then turns to Mary and says to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the sword will pierce your own soul too. What is he saying there? He uses three images. He uses the images of the stone. Basically, this child is going to be the stumbling stone. It's going to be the stone, the cornerstone on which... The Jewish people and many leaders who thought that they know how to build God's house on earth, they're going to stumble upon. Because he is going to be somebody that will be rejected by his own people. And then he will be rejected by the Romans and others. He, so he is, is that stumbling stone. Then he is also the sign that God says, the Messiah is God's miracle to the world. It's a miracle that the world though rejected. What is the world rejecting today is the same sign that God's Messiah is coming to us. And finally, he talks about the sword. And the sword was like a Greek word that is used also in the Old Testament for Goliath when he said that he had a, hard, a large, heavy sword. And that sword basically is going to continually keep on piercing his mother's heart. Throughout Jesus' life, Mother, Mother Mary, she will suffer and ultimately, she will suffer when Christ will be on the cross. Her heart is going to be pierced. But besides Simeon, there is there somebody else in the temple. It's not only a man. There's also a woman called Anna. And it says there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. And she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then he died. And Anna, who was she? She was there. And if you think that women are important in the gospel, she was a prophetess, which is a special gift. She was a prophetess that had the gift of discerning and interpreting God's 
word. And you say, who else is a prophetess in the Bible? There are several of them. I will just mention you, Miriam, who is the sister of Moses, Deborah in Judges, Huldu, and then also Noadiah, and the wife of the prophet Isaiah. She is a prophetess too. And finally, if you remember Deacon, the first deacon among the deacons is Philip in the Bible. And he has four daughters who are also prophetesses. And what is she doing? She was married for seven years. And then it says she was a widow. She was a widow for many years. And now she was 84 years old. She never left the temple. What an interesting statement. But worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. She was one of those women that were at a table. The Bible says that in um, the Gospel of Luke, we have 43 women that are mentioned. Usually in the Bible, the women and in that culture are special. But the widows were a little bit less seen in that society. The widows have lost some power. They were without a husband. And yet, the Bible mentions 12 widows of high importance. And out of those 12 widows that the Bible mentions, Luke is very interesting. He mentions in his gospel the two of them. And that shows how Luke, a physician at heart, cares for the widows, including this widow Anna. He is so adamant Luke, and maybe inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, he is putting this beautiful story in the Christmas story of Christ. Anna means grace. That's, that's grace. And Anna had grace to see Jesus when everybody else was passing by. They thought, this is just one other child coming with his parents. He said, you know, Simeon said, no, this is a special boy. And Anna, a woman, saw and said, no, no, this is a special family. And this is a special child. And she has that internal, again, testimony of the Spirit to know who this child is. And she goes to Simeon, and together they sing praise to God for bringing them this Messiah. And this is what happens coming to the parents at that very moment. That very moment, or the next moment. (laughs) um, Coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It was not a coincidence. She too belonged, she too belonged to that group, the remnant, the faithful Jewish remnant that God said they will never disappear from the earth. And she comes, and the first thing she does is she gives thanks to God. Gratitude. And the second thing is when she says, thank you, God, for this child, the second thing is she says, now I'm going to speak to everyone. I'm going to spread the news among the other faithful members of the remnant who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. And basically, that's how the good news goes further, further, and today, too. We meet the resurrected child The one that is crucified, and we tell others about it. And the good news goes today like that. You meet Jesus, you recognize who He is, you give thanks to God for saving us. That's what we did earlier in the service. We worshiped Him. We 
we confessed our sin. We said, Lord, we are not who we are supposed to be. We need Christ. And then as you forgive us, you send us with a mission to tell others that there is forgiveness, that there is hope, that there is grace, that there is love, that you don't need to live without hope, but there is hope in Christ Jesus. There is a Messiah who can take our sins away. What is it that you wait for? Some of you say, you know, if I see this thing, I can die in peace. Or maybe you are not so at the edge and you say, you know, I just want this more thing to happen in my life. We all wait something for something. Maybe you say, I just want to finish the school. I want to get my degree. I want to get a job and work. Or maybe you say, you know, the birth of my first grandchild will be amazing if I see that. I heard other people say, if I see the healing of my spouse, somebody, somebody who is with somebody in the family waiting, 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 and there's no sign. Somebody said, I feel like I am sitting on the train tracks and the train is coming and there's nothing I can do. I'm stuck there. I cannot run. I'm going to hit this train. I'm going to face this train because there's nothing I can do. And I wait for the Lord to come and give me strength. Or maybe you say, you know, I still have a daughter and I, I have this illness, but I want to walk her down the aisle and then I can die. Or maybe you say, my family is disintegrated, and I would like to see my family finally coming together. The repair of broken relationships, families that come together. Or maybe you have a prodigal daughter, or a son, or a grandson, or a granddaughter, and you say, you know what? Once all my great-kids or great-grandkids are coming to faith, my mission is accomplished, Lord, you can take me to you. I can die in peace. Will you wait for the Lord to fulfill His promises? And this morning I want you to know that you should not leave this place without seeing Jesus. That's who we proclaim to be the Savior. Seeing Jesus and waiting for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that uh, we are among those who wait for the Lord. There's nothing we can do when we come to you before, with, uh, before you with our prayers. We know that you are a merciful God and your throne is the throne of mercy, of grace, of love. So we come before you like loving children. And yet we want to learn how to wait. So as you teach us, that you are faithful, may we grow in our strong conviction, in our strong love for you, in knowing that we do not come to be punished, but we come to be loved. We do not come to be counted among the unfaithful, but to be counted in Christ Jesus, in his sacrifice. We want to be counting among the, counted among the faithful. So look at our hearts. And help us to trust in you as we wait. To worship you as we wait. And help us, Lord, in the middle of these struggles of life, to look up to, to Jesus, to the Messiah, to the one that came to us, to be like us, and to live on our behalf. In his name we trust. 
and his face we seek, his mercy we need, and in his power we leave this place. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you please stand, and as you leave this place, if you need somebody to pray with you, make sure that you go to the prayer room. There's a prayer room here to my right. And make sure that you leave this place knowing that the grace of God the Father, the love of Jesus Christ, and the powerful fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you. Amen. You may go in peace.